things went wrong at home and uh so it is one of those those things um but the whole idea of course make sure I brought my notes <laughs> I always have a backup but always pay really pays to study <laughs> so in case you don't have the notes and everything else at least you know where you're going in the thoughts let's follow in the word of prayer Father God we come this morning and we thank you for today and we just pray that in the course of our time that you'll be glorified Thank you for our time together. Great is your faithfulness. We'll be careful to give you the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. And all the saints said, amen. Just bear with me for a moment. As we um, go to the book of, of John, we, we, we're studying John um, 17, and we'll be in John 19. And it's from uh, 19, uh, 19 chapter, 25th to the 30th verse. I'll start off with some verses here and then we'll, we'll move on. Matter of fact, I'll just read it through and then we'll walk, work through it as far as our title for this morning. Starting with the 25th verse. But standing by the cross, Jesus were his uh, mother and his mother's sister, Mary, and the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene, the three Marys. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Now he wasn't disrespectful now when he just said, he said woman. Uh, that is a very respectful word in that time. Then he said to the disciples, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. A jar full of uh, sour uh, wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He said, it is finished. We'll come back to this because it's part of the outline, but the word, it is finished, in those words was telestai. What's the word? Telestai, finished, done. He didn't say it's all over and uh, I failed. He said, no, I finished it. You're working on a, 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 a project and when you finally put that last thing to the problem, you say, Telesta. <laughs> so so our, our, um, our subject for this morning, our subject for this morning is the profile of a winner. The winner who cries out, Telesta. And that was when he finished, and it's after that he died. But first he says, it's done. Introduction. I believe that there are many individuals that have a poor concept of winning or ignorant of what it takes to be a winner. 
And the question I have is, are you a winner? Could you say, I am a winner because, or I'm not a winner because, and there are no in-betweens. And God is looking for individuals who are bent on being winners. Why? Because we are more than conquerors through him that what? See, the whole idea is that we are born, we were saved to be winners, not failures. There is no failure with God, and God has in his plan. You must be. And that's why God is at work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Because he worked with winners, not failures. He works with raw material because he knows what is going to come. And so I think it's important for us to, uh, to see this and define in the term, a person who has been recognized privately or publicly for doing and finishing an assigned responsibility with a sense of excellence. I remember my uh, art teacher, Mrs. Jordan. Mrs. Jordan would always say, anything worth doing is worth doing well. So if I brought an art project, I said, what is this? Is this your best? Anything worth doing is worth doing well. And you know what? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He felt that it was worth doing. That he already established what would happen on the cross of Calvary before the world was ever formed. Anything worth doing. And so I listed out, have a precise goal, have a definite plan, the same thing, have established unusual sense of timing, and have a keen understanding of the principle of dying to yourself. Individuals who are running for races and everything else, they have all of this, they have a built-in agenda. And when they say, I don't have time for you, it is because they have a plan in place that you are not in the plan. They're not telling you it's not a part of my plan. They're simply saying, I don't have time. They're being nice, okay? <laughs> but understand that if they are in something that is very crucial, it's not that they're putting you down, you see. Uh, a lot of times... Um, uh, I'll be doing something I feel that is very significant, but I feel that Chicago Land Bible Fellowship family, really, you do come first. And so when the individual calls and say, well, Pastor, are you busy? And I would say, um, what, what, what's on your mind? Or, you know, I, I would, I, why, what I've done is that whatever I'm doing, you're more important than what I'm doing right now. If, you, if, you, if it wasn't important, you wouldn't have called. So what I'm doing, I put aside. I can always go back to this. So, so the whole idea is this, the whole idea of timing. If, you're gonna be, if we're going to be winners, we must be people of time. No excuses. No excuses. Um, well, this, no, no, no. No excuses. My wife and I, when we were living on 78th Street um, and uh, right across from the Catholic school, Sabina Catholic school. And um, 
and I'll, we were going all the way out to Allgill Gardens on the bus. And, um, and I always got there on time. I always got there on time. With the children and everything else, always got there on time. Winter got there on time. Why? Because if you're not going to cherish it and put it as a priority, then you don't have to assign time. But if it's a priority, don't be late on your priority. You know what that says about you? And so when I think about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and, and he's going to teach us in this area, um, it's not over until it's over. Never quit before finishing your God-given task. Jesus, while on the cross of Calvary, established a teachable moment for each one of us. And this teachable moment that we're talking about, let us consider the three. Because we're, we're talking about the factor of um, the, Jamaican, the Jamaican guy says, Jesus is the winner man. <laughs> he had the song there, right? He's the winner man. And so the winner man wants to teach us today what it takes to be a winner, you know? And so he'll give us three points. If you want to be a part of the winning group, there's three things that are very essential if you're going to be a winner. So the first thing, winners are skilled at operating beyond their circumstances. Did you hear what I say? Winners are skilled at operating beyond their circumstances. They do not let their circumstances stop them from doing all the things that they should. Well, where is that, Don? Look, let's check this out. John 19.25. But standing by the cross, Jesus were his mother and his brother, sister, Mary, and the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciples whom he loved standing nearby, he said to this, his, this woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciples took her to his own. In, this, in those dark moments, there were three unique things that took place. Here's the first one, three Ps. The first one is provision. What is it? For a devastated mother. And remember the one that Jesus loved? Remember all the disciples ran? How did John wind up back by the cross? And the one that Jesus loved. Irregardless of the fact that he was getting ready to finish what the, what the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit had planned before the foundation of the world, he still remembered Mary. She was told that a, a soul should pierce her heart. A child that was born. Mary had it hard. From the time that the angel announced it to her, the accusations that the people were, the innuendos, uh, escaping with the children, getting, I mean, it was everywhere they turned. It was always a battle, a battle. All the way until he's grown and now what was predicted about him, now prophesied about him, now he's on the cross of Calvary and there's mama. Standing right there. In her pain, she stood. 
There was a history. You would think that somehow she would be angry and everything else, but no, the Bible just says she's there. And in my sanctified imagination, I could see her heart crushed, overwhelmed with tears. And Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, in the midst of his pain, in the midst of dying for our sins, he looks down at mama. I'm going to take care of your mama. I'm going to provide. I'm going to be a provider for you. And he looks to John. And he says, behold your son. You know what the question that came to my mind? What about the other brothers and sisters? Where were the rest of the family? I know it was over five or more. Where was the other family? Why didn't they step up and take Mary? Why did Jesus assign Mary to John instead of, the, instead of letting the sisters and brothers. It's a family thing. They love each other, no doubt. Why? The first thing is the family didn't believe he was the Messiah in the first place. Probably would have been more family around the cross. It was after his death. And there was something else. Here's what real family is about. He says, who is my mother and who is my father? Who is my sister? Who is my brother? You're the ones who keep the word of God. And he sees one of his disciples and he says, woman, <laughs> he says, behold your son. I'm giving you to family. Not a physical family, but a spiritual family that's going to take care of you. Provision. Sometimes if you're going to be a winner, make sure that you do not lose touch with other folks and what they have played in your life. The, the, verse, the, the words from the winner man, I took care of my mama. What about you? I took care of the caregiver. What about you? And by the way, I mean I, God, then became a man. Let this woman take care of me, and she's been faithful all the way. You don't have to pray to her, pray to me. <laughs> she's just a woman that took care of me. The provision. And then the pardon. We're still on, on the whole idea of... Um, just being skilled and operating beyond your circumstances. The pardon. The pardon you probably won't see in that passage of scripture, but you'll see in the storyline of Jesus. The pardon you see when it comes down to the thief on the cross. The one who cursed Jesus said, uh, uh, along with the others, uh, not the one who said, you know, why don't you save yourself and me too? But earlier when they were uh, railing against Jesus Christ, both of the thieves, and Matthew says, both of the thieves railed against him. But this time the thief's mind was changed right at, the, right at the brink of going into eternity. That's what it says, to the utmost, Jesus said. Can you imagine? Here it is. Jesus Christ is born to save, and here's a thief who's come to steal. They're both at the cross. Both of them get ready to go out into eternity. But at that moment, at that moment, God was gracious and clicked on the light. And he rebuked the guy, the other guy, and said, 
Don't you understand this man was innocent? He didn't do anything? And Luke uh, 23, 43, and he said to him, Truly I say to you, uh, today you will be with me in paradise. Because you see, what the guy was saying was, um, he said, Jesus, remember me. That's because of this. Notice this. It says, uh, Luke 23, 41, And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. We're going to die. Cast out by the world and condemned by God. Now, you know that's a bad situation. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This, notice what he said. He didn't say, Jesus, save me. He said, first, I want you to remember me. Then his faith. When I know you are a king, when you enter into your kingdom, he didn't say if you, he says when you. Now that's, that's definitely right. When you enter into the kingdom, remember me. And the Lord turned and said, here's a stamp. Truly, <laughs> you can count on this. You have God's stamp. You shall be with me in paradise. Boy, it's, 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 it's something when, when, a, when a guy almost, almost lost it, almost went into eternity without Christ, almost come before the judgment seat of God, would burn in the lake of fire forever. But God clicked the light on just in time, and he says, this man is innocent. And knowing the innocence, I'm guilty. Will you remember me? And the, and the court proceeding took right place right at the cross. Truly today. He was bound to the, see the thief was bound for the cross. Christ was bound for the cross. And the cursing guy was bound for the cross. Two went a glorious way. And one didn't. Not only was the provision and the pardon, the payment for a condemned and doomed world, the ultimate expression from a holy and just God to this world. Jesus is the winner man. Second, the winners recognize and move intentionally to their defining moment. Look at John 28. After this, Jesus knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill scriptures, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine, he's, he's fulfilling the scripture here, but a jar full of sour wine, they stood so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. In Isaiah 69, 21, it says, they gave me poison for food. And for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. He's finishing everything. He's, he's closing out all of the prophecies and everything else. Even on the cross of Calvary when he said, I thirst. One thing that Jesus Christ teaches as winners is that it's not, whenever you out to win something, it's not an easy road. 
He didn't just go up on the cross of Calvary and die. They had to beat him. He had to hang there for hours. Then he says, and through all of this, he says, I thirst. And they turn around and give him, can you imagine, wine and vinegar sour for him to drink? And yet he did not complain. Because, you see, winners recognize and move intentionally to their defining moment. There are times, if Christ was saying, there will be times in your life that you will have some very strenuous things happening to you. But stay with the word of God. Do what? Stay with the word of God. That's why Isaiah says, and he finished the saying. He was still finishing. He was still finishing. He was finishing all of the prophecies up to that point. He was finishing and finishing this and finishing that. Jesus, the winner man. And then we come at this point to another thing. There are seven things our Savior Jesus Christ, the winner man, has left for us. Let, let me give you those several things. Number one, some advice that he gives. Advice number one, be willing to experience a sense of loss, a connectivity will be real, but stay focused. Here's the verse. Matthew 24, 46. In the ninth hour, he's, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. This is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Fulfilling Psalms 22 when it talks about that. He's fulfilling scriptures, but yet still, he's feeling something that we will never experience. There's not a day that you and I have lived without God's presence being there. He has provided for you everything. I cannot imagine a person dying in their sins and go to a Christless, a godless place where God never will be there for them. God helped the person that hears my voice and die in their sins and witness the reality of being without God. Jesus went there. But everything that Jesus went through was compounded. Me and my mathematics, I'm bad at it. But no, hundreds of times. Compounded. When he said, why have thou forsaken me? He has always had relationship with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. There was never a time. But being on the cross of Calvary and bearing all of our sins, God had to turn his back on sin. Isaiah says, and God laid upon him the iniquity, impelled on him the iniquity of us all. He says, why have thou forsaken me? I have never experienced being separated from you from eternity past. I cannot imagine what he went through. But he went through it so that we won't have to. There's some things that we'll never experience throughout all eternity. Remember the song? Jesus paid it all. And all to the hour. A requirement for us is to always pray for those who are lost. 
Luke 23:34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the second thing I'd invite there. Be, pray, be in prayer. A requirement for us is to always pray for those who are lost. And while they were doing all of these things, he said, Father, please forgive them. They really don't know what they're doing. And they didn't. They didn't. In the heat of the moment, they didn't know that they were crucifying the God of heaven who came to die for their sins. They didn't know. They were operating in ignorance, but their ignorance didn't keep them out of the lake of fire. A lot of them died in their sins. Through 23, 43, and he said to him, truly, uh, you'll be with me in paradise. He said that. Always be aware of those who are, who can profit from your input, even the most trying moments. That's when he said to the woman, woman, behold your son, and to John. Remember that the experience of a winner will have legitimate needs, but stay the course. And after this, knowing that all was finished, said, I thirst. In your first moments, make sure that you are leaving everything in God's hands. Luke 23, 46, when Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And heaven said this, he breathed his last. We come to the last one. You've been very patient. Winners know how to let go. Winners know how to do what? Let it go. They have a thing about let go, let God. Winners know how to let go. It says, a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop and branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished to let die. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. He bowed his head and gave up the spirit. Winners know when to let go. Know when you have finished something and you don't have to add anything else to it or it will become grotesque. If you finish, if you have all of those who, who actually uh, do cakes by, by scratch, if you do everything that's necessary for the cake, don't add something in. Just say, Telestai, put that bad rascal in the oven and then get it cooked. It's finished. There's a time that you, whenever, whenever you finish something and you do it well, you always put your signature on it. On paintings, you see the finish. When you see the painting there, then somebody else comes along and says, well, he left this out. Don't you touch, get away from there. You will pollute this picture. Get away, step away from that picture. He has a signature on it that means, Telestai, I finished this. Everything that I planned for this picture is there. All of the hues, everything is there. It's finished. Your access to God is finished. 
permit me to just kind of read just a few things here. From the sin of Adam to the millennial, there are about seven to eight what they call dispensations or time frames. The first one, innocent, Adam under probation prior, prior to the fall is finished. With one man's sin, and now we find the other man who died for us. Inconscious from the fall of the great flood ends with a worldwide deluge. But the Lord put a rainbow and said, I'll never do that again. And I, that he promised that. No way, he's going to burn it. Human government. After the great flood, humanity responds to uh, enact the death penalty. The promise from the Abraham to Moses ends with a refusal to enter the Canaan, uh, into Canaan and the 40 years of unbelief in the wilderness. The law from Moses to the crucifixion of Christ ends with the scattering of the Israelites uh, lights, and then the um, scattering of the, I'm sorry, scattering of the Israel in AD 70, some used the term Mosaic law in reference to this period of this dispensation. Then grace from the cross to the rapture of the church. Then the millennium, 1,000 years reign with Christ. Each time, each time the Lord says, the law, I've summed it up in two things. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Got that out of the way. Everything he stopped nailing it down and clearing it up and nailing it down and clearing it up all the way. Because you see, he was running a race for us and that he could not fail. Our eternity was at stake. I am so glad that we serve a Lord that stayed the course. And as we say one last thing, this one last thing, of course, is is dealing with the whole idea that if Jesus ran the race, do you think that he'll let you run the race by yourself? I fought a good fight. I've run a good race, and I, I finished the course. Telesta, now is waiting for me. A crown. And he talked about not only me, but all those who love his appearance. We're in a race, and the Lord wants us to be make sure that we are right there, finishing well. And every time we celebrate the resurrection, then what we're doing is remembering what Christ has done, how he finished. See, finishing means that he finished one phrase. He's still he's moving on to the next phrase now. Not as a born child, not as the suffer, uh, uh, suffering savior, now as the reigning king. He moved to the next phrase, and guess what? He wants us to be there, reigning with him. Paul said, don't you know that we will be judging angels? Don't you know that we will reign with Christ? But for all that to happen, he had to finish and because he did finish, and because he is a winner, because Jesus is a winner man, we too have become winners. And as we think about 
this coming uh, Easter, uh, or we, we say the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we want to prepare our hearts and our minds to how important this has been. The apex of all that's going on. Don't ever say God does not love you. Just look at Calvary. And you see that God's love came the cross from top to bottom, the, the height of his, from God to man. Then left to right, you see the, ex the extent of his grace. I appreciate hearing Jack Graham talk about that. And I said, boy, that's, that makes sense. That's a good illustration. And it's at the cross, it's at the cross where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. When he died, the soldier on the ground said, truly, he was the son of God. Truly. And what I'm saying this morning, as we think about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, as we wrap things up, let's not forget all that he has done. Let's honor him in our words. Honor him in all that we do. Starting today. Finish your praise responsibility for one whole month. Let's see. Five things you can immediately praise the Lord for today and for day after day for the whole month. Three things you can thank God for. And by the way, don't thank him for just the good things. Thank, you, thank God for times when people come and give you a verbal slap down. It'll give you perspective. Because they might be telling the truth. Father, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the saints of God. Thank you for what you're going to do in and through our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign. You're a winner. There was no way in the world that you were going to um, turn that stone into bread and put our eternity on line. You withstood all of the tests. And when you finished, Lord, now you're rolling up your sleeve and praying for us before the Father. And Lord, I pray for each one of us that we remember who you are and our responsibility as believers to live a life that's pleasing and honoring to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the saints say.